Hi, I'm Alicia, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis. Today's episode is with Alicia Ledeker. Uh, She's a fascinating developer with a storied history. Uh, She spent time at Ubisoft. She spent time at Magic Leap. She's most recently joined The Mill as their director of creative technology. And she knows more than most on all of the subdomains of extended reality or XR, whether that's augmented reality, virtual reality, spatial computing, mixed reality. There's all sorts of really exciting subdomains inside this space, and Alicia knows a ton about all of it. She can get super nitty-gritty detail and talk about tooling and libraries and SDKs and AR kit and LiDAR and all of that good geeky stuff. And she can equally comfortably jump up to the 10,000 foot view and talk about the ethics that we need to think about as an industry as we roll out these fantastic new technologies. I really enjoyed writing the questions for this interview. I really enjoyed speaking with Alicia and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. So thanks very much for joining, Alicia. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Generally, how I've started these podcast episodes uh, is I I just ask the guests to talk a little bit about their sort of background and career. Um, You've had a really interesting one. And so maybe you can just help us understand a little bit how you sort of went from programming and games to everything else that you've done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, So, hey, everybody, I'm Alicia Leidecker. Um, I guess if I start from the beginning, like my background is originally in computer science. So I had studied comp sci like 20 plus years ago. Um, After I had graduated, I had first started in web development. Uh, So way back when doing a lot of like front end web development, uh, UI, UX, dev, um, got a little bored with that because I'm like definitely this hybrid creative slash technology right. person. Um, so went back to school, took major uh, in university called computation arts, which I'm so glad I did this. It was basically fine arts meets computer science and what really got in. This is a uh, Concordia that in was Montreal. Concordia. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I think yeah. I was uh, actually one of the first graduates from in this program, like way back. It actually used to not be called computation arts. It was digital image sound and the fine arts and they had to change it because it wouldn't fit on the screen like (laughs) when you graduated. So yeah. Um, So when I was studying there, I started studying 3D animation. I started getting into things like Max MSP processing. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of working with a lot of artists and DJs in Montreal thinking about how to like kind of hack different hardware and technologies to like do projection mapping to like real time tracking. This is like early 2000s. So this is when hardware was like super shitty, but it was a lot of experimentation around bringing like technology and art to physical spaces and to events. And it was around then that Ubisoft, I guess, somehow got hold of like my portfolio and they were like, oh shit, you've got like two degrees in comp sci, you've been studying 3D animation, you're like doing all this like fun, crazy events, you should come in and chat with us. So uh, yeah, I joined Ubisoft, I don't know, at 
what year this was. Uh, but when I joined, it was actually as an intern. Really? So okay. when I joined, it was to do gameplay programming, uh, AI programming, and I had started off on the game Lost. After my internship, quickly transitioned to like staff and got to work on Sean White snowboarding, doing again the gameplay AI programming, uh, and then eventually ended up on the Assassin's Creed brand, which mm-hmm. was super fun. And that kind of kickstarted like definitely my career in the gameplay AI space. Um, so I got to help build a lot of the gameplay AI systems building out the behaviors that the assassin would do in the game. I got really passionate about like the crowds because uh, assassin, I think was one of the first games where we had these great NPCs. And I think we were really like adamant on like, you want to blend in with the crowd. Oh yeah. The the crowd crowd. blend was, well, I remember that it was, you know, from the very first trailer of Assassin's Creed, they, they they featured that idea of sort of blending in with the crowds and using that as part of the sort of, what do they call it, social stealth. Yeah. Um, so I was super into that feature, but I was like, these crowds aren't doing anything. We should be pushing, like, the AI, like, with what they can do, how alive they are. Like, let's start thinking about building actual living, breathing crowd and crowd systems. So uh, I helped build and lead like a lot of the efforts for the crowd systems there, like on Assassin's Creed Unity. I was lead developer there, and that was, I think, one of the best bits of technology that we had built where it was like previous games, 10 characters on screen to let's push to have 10,000 characters on screen and uh, really build out not only the technology, but what we can do with animation and behavior systems and all of that. So all that to say, like, by that, uh, I was at UB for about 11 years. Uh, when I left, I was leading the game plan AI from Assassin's Creed, and then I had worked on an unannounced project uh, for a while. But I was itching to do something kind of outside of the traditional video game space. Mm-hmm. And that was when, about four years ago, I started, like, realizing this world of, like, augmented reality, mixed reality, and uh, I was like, oh, this this is something completely new, and this could really change what video games mean in the future. So yeah, about four years ago, though, um, I decided to make the shift to augmented reality, and I joined a company called Magic Leap. Um, so when I joined, this was before uh, Magic Leap 1 had uh, actually been shipped had shipped. Uh, so, uh, I, I was hired to lead our interaction team on the West coast. We were essentially a group of like creative technologists, people with like background in machine learning, uh, technical artist designers. And our group was really all about experimentation and like working with this piece of hardware that wasn't complete yet and doing a whole lot of experiments around what can we do in augmented reality and what does augmented reality even mean um so it was a lot of fun uh our team you know we were really stress testing the hardware while at the same time working super closely with our sdk and software teams to help inform here's the workflows that developers are going to need here's the apis this is what we would like to have access to in terms of hardware so our team really helped to like inform and like kind of direct where we were going and what we would need out of a platform like Magic Leap One. That's cool. Yeah. And then let's see. Uh, After we shipped, uh, we kind of rebranded the team and our focus was um, around developer experience. Mm -hmm. Our group was working with external developers from 
gamers to people in like location-based to enterprise or medical like experts. And we were building experiences uh, for the Magic Leap One while at the same time building out the toolkits and additional like best practices and really like very focused on the developer as a whole. Yeah, since then I left less than a year ago, uh, started doing a bit of freelancing, opened up a company that is focused on building location-based experiences, even though we are in the time of COVID. I definitely <laughs> yeah. have a love for location-based. Oh, we'll talk lots about that. Yeah. Uh, and just recently I joined the mill, um, okay. so leading their creative technology teams. God, you have seeded so many of my future questions. I'll, I'll, before we get into it, I'll just say it's so funny. We were like UB adjacent. Like, honestly, we must have been right across the hall from each other for 10 years. I yes. remember the bunker, the lost, you know, the the the, the bunker that, that um, you guys were in on, on that project. When you were on Sean White, I was right across the hall, um, Prince of Persia. Um, yes. When you talk about the Assassin's Creed crowd increase. Uh, you may remember the Legends project, which I was on, and there's some connections yep. there. So it's it's amazing how much our, our Ubisoft careers sort of intertwined, and yet yeah. we never work together. That's really fun. Uh, the technology for Legends, I remember being like, oh, oh I God. just want to like, so much potential. Yeah, I, You know what? I, <laughs> I actually have a video of it. Oh, nice. Okay. I know. I'll never be able to release it, but I have it. I actually managed to find a video of it somehow on one oh. of my old phones. That tech was amazing. Yeah. Okay, um, before we uh, fall deep down that um, memory lane rabbit hole, uh, you dropped um, a bunch of uh, acronyms in there, AR, VR, uh, you mixed reality. Some people talk about XR. Can you just go through them all? And again, like, let's just make sure everyone who's listening knows what all of these different things are at a super high level so that when we talk about them moving forward, you know, they know what we're referring to. Yeah. Um, so VR, I think a lot of people are more accustomed to like knowing what VR is, utilizing VR. So that's when you're 100% immersed in this virtual world. Uh, we've seen great games, applications being used in VR, platforms that are out there like the Oculus Quest, Quest to like the early Rift or like the Vive aspect for VR. But this is where you are, again, 100% in a virtual world. Yep. Augmented reality, I think a lot of people don't realize how much this is like actually entwined in their everyday lives. That's like right. you could look at augmented reality where it's like, have you used a filter in Instagram? <laughs> Great. That's augmented reality. And people are like, oh shit. Okay. So I have used augmented reality. Snapchat like is the world's largest augmented reality company. And yet they hardly ever use the word. <laughs> Very true. Or or even Pokemon Go, right? Like those who have used the option where they're running around trying to find their Pokemons and when they like turn on the AR option to see the Pokemon in like the real world, that's augmented reality. Yep. Uh, mixed reality. Uh, we've heard that term a bit more in like the previous years, um, in the last couple of years, I mean. And mixed reality is kind of the step up from what like the first versions of augmented reality were. Uh, mixed reality is like more of the sophisticated like aspects of what you can do, uh, which is really digital content existing in the real world, but digital content being aware of the oh, real cool. world. So instead of just say like the floating Pokemon character, mixed reality is where it's like 
the back the the platform understands that there's like a real world table there's a real world sofa and you have to have all of this data so that content can interact with it content can be occluded by like the real world geometry um and xr in a sense is like just this umbrella almost term that encompasses all of it but we're also starting to use xr or extended reality for kind of this blurring of digital worlds with like the physical world. So in the last year, we've seen lots of like concerts that mm-hmm, people are saying mm-hmm. are extended reality. And it's because it's real world concerts or concerts that are filmed, but we're bringing digital contents into those concerts. So things that we've seen like the Billie Eilish concert that happened this year, or even the fully digital concerts with like Travis Scott and right. Fortnite, like we're utilizing this term of XR to okay. really encompass anything that is physical and digital together. Okay. Um, well, throughout the rest of this interview, then, um, you know, when I say XR, I basically yeah. just mean whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Like okay. whether it's XR, AR, VR, uh, MR, uh, you know, the, it's up to you. Um, okay. I'll, I, I just used XR here as a sort of blanket, uh, even though, but thank you for correcting that that's not necessarily exactly right. But uh, if I do say XR, what I mean is any star oh, dot star R. Yes. Great. <laughs> um, so uh, you talked about uh, your time at UB and then you sort of became aware of AR and XR yeah. and VR. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what made you aware? What triggered that enthusiasm? And what were you sort of like, oh my God, I wonder if I could I? Do you remember those early days and what got you really excited about the possibilities of the space? Yeah. So it actually was an experience that had nothing to do with the digital world. I think it was about six or seven years ago, I had gone to Sleep No More in New York for the first time. And for those who don't know, Sleep No More is an immersive theater experience. You show up at this warehouse, you're given a mask. And essentially, it's almost like being in a theater meets video game in real life. Um, You've got actors running around and like you choose which adventure you want to go on. So I left this experience completely mind blown. To be honest, I was like, I'm leaving video games and I'm going to join the world of immersive theater. Um, And I still kind of want, definitely want to do that at some point. But um, what got me really my kind of like creative juices going is there's this amazing world of immersive theater that has started to like come about. Imagine if we could bring everything we know from video games and digital content to these experiences. And that was kind of how I started like discovering like the world of XR and augmented reality. And like my whole like kind of has all night is I would love to be able to like work with like these People working on amazing things in the physical space from immersive theater to location-based to hell LARPing or anything like that and and find out how we can bring the digital world to these amazing pieces of content and entertainment. That's cool. I think you know uh, the creative director that I'm working with, Stefan Carmignani. Yeah. Um, he talks about sleep no more often and, and definitely something were very interested in. So that's really cool that it, it triggered something for you as well. I haven't had the chance to experience it myself yet, but I've certainly done a ton of research online and I'm looking forward to the day when I can. Um, so, okay. So you had the luxury of having this wonderful sort of 
triggering moment, this sort of transformative moment in your in your life where you experienced the potential of XR. And yet for many, many, many people, they haven't had that yet. For them, XR is what they've read in popular culture or, or seen in popular culture. They read or saw Ready Player One. They remember Star Trek and the holodeck. They, you know, the, the ear pods in her or, you know, what have you, Neuromancer, Snow Crash, etc. There's There's plenty of examples of some version of XR in our pop culture lexicon. Um, did any of those inspire you? And and do any of them really suck as far as you're concerned? Like, are there <laughs> any really horribly wrong um, sort of fantasies of XR out there that you think are really, um, I don't know, miseducating people? Um, so before we get to that, I will say, and you mentioned it, but Snow Crash, I think for anyone who's kind of like into this XR VR space. Uh, Snow Crash was definitely an influence. Uh, I was super lucky and to be honest, like fangirled when I got to work with Neil Stevenson (laughs) at Magic Leap. Um, Yeah, I had to try and act super chill, but you know, deep down I was like, fuck. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So Snow Crash, I think uh, definitely influenced me. Um, Blade Runner, I think, uh, was was a really great example, the original Blade Runner, to think about like what would having digital content, digital billboards, oh, yeah. ads in our world look like. Um, but the example that I give a lot when I'm giving conference talks that is completely different to everything that you just mentioned is actually who framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. Uh, I think. When in the 80s or whenever that movie came out, um, the idea of living in a world with like digital characters around oh, sure. you where it's just oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely yeah. normal, they're totally immersed in our world, totally and that I can go to their world. I feel like that's almost the example I would love to see more of. Um, I love the examples you gave, but so much of like kind of the lore around XR tends to be a bit dystopian, very sci-fi. Um, I'll be Dark. honest, a lot of it drives me nuts because it tends to be also like sexualized women and these right. like virtual being characters. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like the idea, even though I'm sure Jessica Rabbit is also an example of that. Uh, but I love she the idea. She was sort of like of the ultimate of... <laughs> sexualized cartoon, right? I mean, she really exactly. Was. Yeah. Um, but I like that it, it's a very different type of example no, cool. of like, the digital world interacting with the physical world. But yeah. And and it's funny, I, I, I think it's pretty much safe to say that this is now 100% maintaining the streak of mentioning Snow Crash on every single podcast episode oh, that really? I've done. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't think I've interviewed one guest who hasn't talked about it at least a little bit. So oh good. Gosh. Thank you for maintaining the streak. I appreciate Great. that. Great. Great. Um, I love that example of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Of course, it's so funny as kids. I mean, I, I watch cartoons with my kids all the time. I have three kids. I love cartoons. I still love cartoons. And it's amazing how, as a kid, you you watch cartoons and it's like, yeah, of course, it totally makes sense. Of course, the rabbit is talking to the grown, like the, the human and they're going and having a coffee. Yeah, that that's cool. And then at some point in time, you hit this sort of, wait a second, that's not realistic. You you hit that point where it's kind of like, that doesn't actually happen in the real life. And for some reason, I take issue with that. 
I think it's so fantastic that you've come full circle and you look at that and you go, actually, that's amongst the most realistic <laughs> examples of XR in pop culture, because that's the kind of thing we could have, where you're having a completely normal conversation with this cartoon character. And it's so deeply integrated into your world that you don't even notice that it's digital. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to totally mention that to my kids next time we watch it. Um <laughs> Okay, so you mentioned Magic Leap, uh, obviously hugely exciting, inspirational. You know, I think we all remember the the uh, the, the flying whale. We all remember, uh, you know, some of the work that you know Weta was doing, and and again, there was some really really inspirational stuff there. Obviously, they've sort of scaled back and 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 changed tack a little bit recently. Um, do you have lessons from the trenches that you think are worth sharing? I mean, obviously nothing NDA or anything like that, but, but as an industry, like what learnings do you think we can take from Magic Leap? Probably so many. And to be honest, like I'm super excited to see like what the next version of like the hardware is going to be. Um, like I'm totally biased, but I still think from a hardware perspective, like an HMD augmented reality hardware, I do think that Magic Leap is still like the best version that is on the market right now. Um, okay. The visuals are insane. In terms of like kind of learnings and where I see like the industry going, um, I mentioned how my team was very focused on like the creator tools mm-hmm. and the pipeline. And it really feels like, almost early days of game development um, when building for augmented reality today, where the reality is if you don't know how to already build for video games, if you don't know 3D, if you don't know like how to use Unreal or Unity, then it's pretty difficult to build for uh, XR today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I learned so much and the industry as a whole, like around the tooling. And I feel like the tooling for XR is something that really needs to continue to be pushed to make this something that is accessible for like creators alike. If we look even at like, you know, we mentioned um, face filters, like filters for Snapchat and Instagram. Um, They've done a great job of really pushing to have like studios and tooling. So like, you don't have to be a developer with years of coding experience to create your own like face filters. Um, And I think we need to be pushing the same um, for these more immersive, large scale uh, augmented reality experiences. I do think people like the players here are definitely on the unity and Epic side uh, as well as on WebXR. I think Mm -hmm. WebXR might actually be a really great stepping stone for a lot of like devs, especially those coming from like WebGL and JavaScript um, to like enter this world of XR. Um, But I feel we're in the early beginning days in terms of like pushing the tools to create the content for XR. That's really, really interesting. I'm actually really glad that you mentioned uh, the sort of Snap and Instagram filter stuff. And I can say from experience um, that they really are highly accessible. I have some coding experience, but very little 3D experience. I honestly still struggle just navigating my way through like the four pane 3D space of like a, like a commercial game engine. You know, it's like, oh, wait, I don't want to rotate. I want to zoom in or (laughs) I don't want to move the object. I want to pivot the object. I still struggle a little bit with that sort of stuff. And I was playing with the, uh, Instagram AR filter. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but that whole toolkit last year, 
just to sort of see, you know, how, how it works. And again, with, with, you know, following tutorials within a day, you know, I had, I had a filter running, um, that had, you know, 3D objects and it was like interactive and it was animated. And it's great to see that community. There's, there's, you know, people building their filters, selling it on Gumroad. There's tutorials. There's communities. These are, these are creators who aren't necessarily game devs who are bringing their artistic vision, uh, to the, to bear in these AR filters because they have access to a relatively accessible, relatively easy to use tool set and a really engaged community. So yeah, yeah I think that's fantastic. And I, I absolutely think, you know, a lot of the next gen of XR is, is probably going to come out of, you know, Snapchat and Instagram filter creators. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about the Magic Leap. Um, I have not yet had the luxury of putting one on, so I can't speak from experience there. But do you have any other sort of quote unquote favorite uh, commercially available XR products? I mean, I, I assume you've sort of tried almost all of them. Um, so do you want to just kind of go through those and, and which ones... Uh, are there any other really notable ones that you want to, you want to draw attention to? Yeah, I guess, let's see if we go across the XR space. And like we said, it's pretty, pretty large and wide, um, on the VR side, uh, I've been playing the shit out of my Oculus Quest 2. Yes, like, and I definitely I, want to talk about that. <laughs> I got this probably about six months ago. Um, and I'm just so happy to see how accessible, lightweight, there's no tethering, there's no crazy wires, like... Like I mentioned to you, I'm living in Costa Rica right now and I'm like walking around hanging out with my with my quest and people are like, what is that? Can I try this? And they're blown away with like how lightweight and easy and accessible it is. That's and the great. games on it are great. On the AR side, like you mentioned magically, but I still think like from a graphics perspective and rendering, it's I, I love what they've done there. Um from an accessible side, I was super excited when I got to try the North glasses. Um Canadian made. Yay. Uh, Exactly. Uh, I think that shows where for this to become mainstream, we need something that is going to be like lightweight feels just like glasses, sunglasses, um, stylish, something that can be like customizable. And I really like what they were doing. They've been bought out now by Google. So super intrigued to see where things go there. Um, of course, kind of the, the dream, and I haven't gotten to try any of this, but is eventually like the contact lens side and there's players working really? on the contact lens XR space. So, cool. uh, I think we'll have to see where that goes in the next couple of years. Um, then what else? Let's see. There's like other hardware peripherals when we think about like spatialized audio, spatialized yes, audio falls yes. into the XR realm. Absolutely. And the Apple AirPods and yes. like the Bose like uh, earbuds, like they're both spatialized audio enabled. Even at CES this year, I think a number of players are now kind of jumping on this bandwagon for spatialized audio, which I think is great because for those who might not want to have like their phone being held up to like look at XR experiences and kind of want to like experience a light version of what this could be through spatialized audio. I think this is a really good accessible stepping stone and for creators to create like simple, but something that's like really magical um, utilizing the spatialized audio. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into spatialized audio. I mean, I, 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 I totally agree with what you said. It feels like such a wonderful stepping stone towards this sort of extended reality or this idea that the physical and the digital can be married together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, obviously going back to the pop culture thing, for, you know, her was a, a great example of opening my 
ears, I guess, uh, to yeah. the potential of, of that as like, hold on, that is a form of sort of augmented reality in its own way, even though it's not, you know, necessarily glasses or lenses or something you, you know, you're, you're looking at. Yeah. Can you talk about, I just came across this term recently, pass through AR or AR VR hybrid. What exactly is that? Yeah. So, I mean, there isn't concretely anything on the market today for this, but I know there are a few players who may or may not be working in this space. And that's the idea that maybe there are some experiences where it's meant to be in VR, and maybe there's some experiences where it's meant to be where it can shift to augmented reality. So it's kind of this like, I don't know if it's the best of both worlds or <laughs> for for others to judge what that means for them, but uh, looking at how you can have light AR, um, but VR experiences at the same time. Like I mentioned, I think it comes down to the experience you're building. Right. And when I've worked with developers, sometimes they come and they're like, we want to, you know, when I was at Magic Leap, they're like, we want to build for Magic Leap. Um, and I'd be like, why? You know, what's your experience? Like, yeah. what? What, how do you think augmented reality is going to be utilized for your experience? So I think the good bits with these potential pass-through like hybrid AR, VR hardware is that'll give the option for the developer to not necessarily be like, I'm excited about this hardware. I'm going to force myself to do something just for this, where if they have the option, they can choose what's best for their experience. And just to be clear from an actual sort of like, nuts and bolts point of view, that would be an AR headset. So like whatever, completely encompassing my field of view, but with camera lenses or cameras facing the exterior world, right? Yeah. I mean, right now, even the AR side do have like the cameras embedded, but it's, it's as again, I have not... Yeah. I don't okay. Have to say if I've seen these, but uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, it'll be interesting. I, I, it kind of feels like I don't know, sort of a Sam Fisher esque helmet or something like that, where you you pull it on and these lights light up and you can see your world, but it's also filming the world around you and somehow marrying those two things together. I, I can definitely see some interesting stuff there. The, the next two questions are interrelated, um, which is basically, again, using XR as a blanket statement. So it can be AR, it can be VR, it can be, you know, mixed reality, whatever you want. Um, what are some really kind of cutting edge public experiences that you think people should know about? And and again, please only talk about things here that, you know, that are public, that that, that are out there, but that are maybe not getting the eyes and ears on them because of COVID or because of lack of hardware or because they're, you know, fixed installations or something like that. But is there some really cool XR experiences out there that you think uh, deserve more, uh, I don't know, more, more, more attention than they're currently getting? Uh, let's see. So I guess... Because I've been playing a lot of VR lately, and I feel everyone knows about this, but in case they don't, uh, Beat Saber is probably Mm, one of the most (laughs) successful VR uh, experiences. And honestly, like it helped me so much during COVID where I was like, not only am I having fun, but I'm getting to exercise. So this is really great. Um, I mean, others that are really interesting in the VR space, games like Super Hot, Pistol Whip. Uh, I love how Super Hot like kind of, embraced what is vr and built their mechanics around like the character movement so if you move then the whole game world pauses and like how does that influence your play um definitely like two super successful games in the vr space but one that i got to play last year it was part of um 
I think the Rain Dance Film Festival that kind of blew my mind <laughs> is uh, it, it was an experience, not necessarily a game. It was an experience called The Tempest made from Tender Claws. And I had to show up at a specific time. It was like I had a ticket to going to an event. And when I logged in, I was in a complete virtual world and there was a character in front of me. But this character was being controlled in real time by a real actor somewhere in London uh, in a mocap suit. And essentially over the course of an hour, uh, this real person and myself and three other players were doing kind of role playing and like immersive theater acting. And we were essentially in this world of the Tempest. But I really love the idea of being in a virtual world, having like this actor control like the character and us essentially doing kind of like LARPing together. Um, I thought from a tech side, it was really interesting and it was just a different way of playing. And maybe it was because I missed getting to actually go to like immersive theater and places in real life. So I liked that I got to do this like in the virtual space. That's really interesting. It sounds fascinating. And it speaks to my perception, which might not be right, probably is not. But, you know, my perception was that a few years ago, you know, you had the Oculus and everyone was like, oh my God, VR is going to change the world. And it it sort of changed some worlds, but it maybe didn't blow up in terms of at home quite the way some people were expecting. Although obviously there's some amazing experiences and success stories like Beat Saber, et cetera. And then like time and time again, you would read about these like just incredibly cool sounding experiences or installations. Like I remember reading this article about some sort of like Ghostbusters VR thing where it was completely untethered because the the power was, it was powered by your backpack basically. So, but you weren't tethered to the wall and you were in a play space that was mapped to the virtual space. So, you know, the, the, whatever the wall or the table inside the, the play space corresponded to a wall or a table in the physical space. And then like as a squad, you're like moving through both the physical space, but then also in VR, seeing the digital version of that and, you know, shooting ghosts or whatnot. It just sounded fantastic. Like the coolest, funnest game theme park ride experience I could imagine. And and so, (laughs) sorry, say again. It is, and I could talk about it, but it is one of the best experiences. (laughs) It just sounds so cool. So, So how do you think we got to the place where... Like, again, installations were were just so incredibly fantastic. And yet at home, you know, maybe didn't kind of reach the same level of, of liftoff that we, we were hoping for. And then do you think COVID is changing that? Is COVID an opportunity for at home XR, you know, probably mostly VR to really blow up? And is it really blowing up? So I guess a lot of questions in there. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? So um, actually, the example you were just talking about for Ghostbusters, that's the void. And um, whenever I talk or give conference talks about like immersive experiences or location based, I always talk about the the void. Um, When I went, I was blown away. I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, I get put into this like VR suit. I'm walking around. Everything is is mapped to this physical space. There is like 
this this kind of dome with like an alien that's inside of it but i could actually go up and touch it and they've got like haptic feedback that's on it where i'm like holy shit like oh my gosh (laughs) it's vibrating and you know they utilize like heat they utilize like water they 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 really like play with your senses um so yes a hundred percent i think early days of or I don't know if I would call it early days, but VR from the last like five years, we didn't necessarily see the huge adoption at home, uh, but I definitely saw it starting to blow up for the location-based side. And one, it's because, you know, not everyone necessarily has the money to buy like VR kits. It was quite pricey, the first versions of VR. Um, Not everyone has this space. Like when I had my vibe, I had to like basically be like, I don't have a living room anymore to socialize in. It's your VR room now. Exactly. So um, I thought this was like anything that was location based from, you know, what the Void has done. They worked with Star Wars uh, and did like a really great like installation utilizing like the Star Wars space and VR at location based experiences. We're seeing it all across like Vegas now. I think any kind of brand activation is like needs to incorporate like a location-based VR element as well. So it's a way to get people to go to these spaces and like really experience something mind blowing with VR. But as you said, now and for the past year, we've been living in this world of COVID. Uh, sadly, a lot of these location-based VR companies are, are definitely suffering from what's happened in the last year. Um, I think once COVID, I don't know if I can say goes away, but once we're able to like navigate in the real world again, I feel like there will be a huge rise for these XR immersive experiences because people will be like, I've been stuck in my home now for a year. Like WTF, give me every immersive experience that is in a physical location as you can. So I definitely see the rise But as you mentioned, what's been really interesting is I think it has really pushed the adoption for XR at home. And I've joined, I've been part of a bunch of great online conferences where it's happened in VR, like where we Mm -hmm. go to alt space. Uh, I was just part of Dreamland XR like a week ago. And it was so amazing to be like in a, a, um, it was Vegas. It was CES that had been modeled. And we were, I was there with hundreds of people chatting. I was on stage, air quotes on stage, like getting to talk to an audience through Altspace VR in my Oculus Quest. We're seeing now that people are also going, well, if I can't do concerts, like at a physical space, how do I bring concerts to the digital world? So in a weird way, it's almost as if COVID kind of forced where a lot of us thought we would be in terms of like adoption for XR and digital worlds. We thought this would be five years from now, but COVID kind of like forced us really quickly into this direction, which I think is great because we're getting more and more players understanding and really wanting to like embrace XR for, for their, their work. And yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we will probably talk a bit more about sort of, the quote unquote metaverse, um, another theme that comes up in almost every podcast I do uh, a little bit later on. But, but um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of analysts out there, a lot of, you know, smart people out there sort of, you know, saying effectively what you're saying for XR, but across almost the entire digital spectrum, right? Like COVID yeah. has accelerated the push into virtual and digital by five years. And yeah. I think what's you've also brought up, it's going to be really interesting to see is when 
quote-unquote normalcy returns or some, some variant thereof, do we slam on the brakes? Probably not. Um, even if people are like running out into the open and hugging and kissing every stranger they can see and throwing every virtual headset on, every headset onto their face that they can get their hands on because they're now all you know, vaccinated. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's going to mean uh, a slowdown in this acceleration into virtual. To me, it feels like that that ship has has set sail and, and exactly. it's exciting. It's really exciting to be part of that for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk uh, specifically about AR for a second. Uh, you know, we've all seen these videos, you know, some hot kid walking down the street and he pulls out these stylish glasses and they look just perfect and there's no wires or cameras and he slips them on his or or her face. And then suddenly there's this like wealth of useful information and it's subtle and it's context aware and everything's perfect and great. And you're going, wow, man, like I can't wait to live in that world where, you know, I don't need billboards anymore. I don't need books anymore. I don't need my phone. I just put on these glasses and every piece of information I could possibly need is just coming to me when I need it. Right. So perfect, you know, mixed reality. What has to happen to make that a reality? Like from today, like what are we missing in the stack to get to that kind of, you know, whatever, that fantasy, that, that, that view of reality? Oh, gosh. So that's a big question. And feel free to stop me at any point if I start <laughs> rambling. But um, so first thing you mentioned is the form factor, right? And like other than I mentioned North, but for really advanced kind of hardware, software, um, versions of augmented reality glasses that are lightweight and, and something that you want to wear that doesn't exist. And so I think like the form factor really needs to be pushed. Um, then once we can get to something where it's like, great, it's my glasses or my contacts or whatnot, um, looking at where we are more from like the technology perspective, Beginning days of AR were, like I said, lots of floating bits of content. And a lot of that is because to actually have content be aware of the world around you, you need to have depth sensing and scanning and you need uh, that content to work in real time. Uh, Like the first versions of like room scanning that I got to work on was probably some of the best from a couple of years ago, but it was still maybe like two to 10 seconds for a scan to work and for you to get like that mesh of the world. So we need better scanning capabilities. Um, We need it to be real time. I actually think where we're at right now with like LIDAR capabilities, it's really pushing like what is available, though more from a mobile side. So it's really exciting to see like what LIDAR uh, is able to push in terms of like real-time scanning of the environment so that you can have more of like this, this represented map of the world around you. So let's say then you've got your map. Uh, we've got like real-time scanning. Everything's work great. We've got our lightweight hardware. You can have all the scan of the world around you, but if there is no understanding uh, of what that world means. So semantic understanding of knowing, is this a table? Is this a bed? Is this my table? Is this the bed from like a stranger's room? Am I in a kitchen? Like we're getting all of this data of the world around us, but this is going to be a huge undertaking um, on the AI machine learning side to actually make sense of the world around us almost comparing to video games. It's like early video games were like, I've got a level. 
cool and a character can walk around the level, but the character would like, you know, avoid shapes to not like walk through it. And then as we started pushing for open world video games, it was like, let's add, let's make sure we have like a tagging system. We want to know that this is a table. We want to know this is a door. We want to know this is a cup. Got some tagging, but then we've got to build these AI systems that actually make sense of that world. We want NPC characters to go, hey, what's up, buddy? Come and take a seat with me. Mm-hmm. And that, that digital character can be aware that this is a chair. They go and sit at the chair. They're aware that there's a cup in front of them. They pick up that cup and they, they do cheers. So take that challenge that we had to do to, with video games and multiply that challenge exponentially because we need to be able to do that with the real world around us. Um, and then, you know, let's say even we have all of this semantic understanding, we have like machine learning algorithms that can make sense of the world as content creators, we need to think, well, how are we going to use this? How am I going to create really compelling content now that can be intelligent, that can interact with the world around us? How do I build for that? Which kind of, again, is why I think so many game developers are interested in this space because they've been kind of wrapping their heads around like how do I have really interesting bits of digital content that is context aware and that adapts to the world around it and influences the world around it. Wow. So I don't know. Kind no, of, that's there's great. I mean, so that's many perfect. challenges. And, that's yeah. absolutely perfect. <laughs> and 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 so let's just throw one other thing in there. One thing that I often have people wondering is sort of where does kind of cloud and or 5G, where does bandwidth fit into that vision? Because everyone's sort of saying, well, all the processing power necessary to do that, you're never going to fit that in the frame of, you know, of, of your glasses, uh, yeah. you know, without whatever huge leaps in terms of, you know, how much that can all be compressed. So can you talk just a little bit about like, where does the execution for all that live? Does it live on the metal or is it in the cloud in your opinion? Yeah, so I think that's where right now, especially on the AR side, we're seeing like room-based, room-scaled experiences. And that's because, you know, we can make a sense of what's in the room around us. We utilize our Wi-Fi. um, But to get anything that's going to exist in the real world with all of this real-time processing, the network bandwidth, we're going to, we need 5G. Also, where I see 5G being something that is a must is... We're seeing a lot in terms of like scanning of the real world around yeah. us. And, you know, there's 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 companies that are doing this for for uh, self-driving cars, right? There's companies like Niantic who are doing this for Pokemon Go. Like, as we think about building this, and I'm doing an air quotes right now, digital twin of mm-hmm. the real world, for people to be able to utilize this, it's going to have to be where we're doing this up and down, like communication and gathering data from 5g and uh also pushing data back up to to 5g about like what we're also sensing about the world around us yeah people kind of were like oh 5g starting to come online we're gonna have like the metaverse like today and there's there's a lot to be built and even there's a lot of steps and even when we think about like the infrastructure from 5g it's like beginning days of 5g so i think that's where people feel like you know give it to the three maybe much more like a five-year plan or when we will have like this these seamless experiences in the real world around us still i mean five years is not you know that's not forever and to even have a fraction of that in five years uh to me is you know hugely exciting but it does then carry into the next one which is 
We've also seen there's that fantastic YouTube video of the AR overload, you know, that it's just <laughs> like, oh my God, what's going on? It's like way too much. It's Wally on steroids times infinity. It's just way too much information. So, you know, as someone deep in uh, the trenches, what can we as a society, as developers, as consumers, what can we do to make sure that that kind of just AR overload kind of thing doesn't happen? Yeah, I think when we started at Magic Leap and after like a year or so and working with other experts as we were starting to flush out what's kind of some of the best practices to share or maybe not best practices, but considerations, less is more is always number one on the list. I think every developer, when they're like, ooh, mixed reality, AR, they're like, cool, we've got our character in the world. Let's have like flashy, crazy augmented lights in it. Now, especially if you come from games and they think about like UI and menus and HUD, and I'm like, you don't need any of that. Like, and I think it's, it's interesting. It's going to be like a whole new way for especially UX and UI designers to think about building for uh, augmented reality. Like I want to see like no more HUDs, no more like UI menus, no more like any of that. Like we should get away from that. What is a 2D screen type of thing Mm -hmm. and think a lot more about the feedback that you're portraying to your user through your piece of content. So let's say it's a digital character. Let's say it's a character you're interacting with. You really want that digital character to be able to convey, give feedback to you, whether it's through like their emotions, their movements, their sound, uh, That is where I feel like a lot of the UX needs to be focused um, so that we can alleviate this like AR overload of trying to add too much to the screen. Mm. Um, But then I guess almost another answer to your question is as we think about like getting to this AR everywhere in the world, of course, it's all going to be these kind of individual apps that coexist in one world. And Mm -hmm. I think it'll be really interesting to think about what is this kind of filtering system? How do we let the user really control what types of information they want to see, what is personalized to them while really designing around safety, right? Like if I think about, I'm going to be going down the street and I've got ads and banners with my Google map showing me where to go. And maybe I'm live. Exactly. Like, sale. We really need to consider safety into like the UI UX design. So I keep saying UI UX, but I think this is going to be a really awesome challenger, a challenge for developers in this space to think about how to reduce the cognitive load and how to like incorporate safety into mm-hmm. what gets rendered onto the screen for users. Wow. I mean, we talk about the uh, the information economy, the attention economy, rather. I mean, talk about an evolution of the attention economy, right? If you had an, you know, a perfect AR glasses and just assume that that's all taken care of and you turn all your filters off uh, and we jump 10 years in the future, yeah, you can absolutely imagine, you know, everyone will want a piece of that, you know, of that of your attention. Everyone will want a a piece of of your time, of your, literally your, your peripheral vision. They'll all want a slice of that. And so uh, we'll have to give the consumer, the people, the power to, to really filter out what they want to see, what they don't want to see. And of course, then all the, the the companies trying to participate in this are going to be really 
anxiously trying to figure out, you know, how do they make sure that their content is visible, not getting filtered out because otherwise what's the point? Yeah. And you talk a lot about safety and, and, and let's use that as the bridge into other ethical concerns. I mean, you know, in video games, we have, I guess, you know, some ethical discussions, uh, certainly, you know, more and more as we go, you know, in, in sort of persistent worlds and more and more as we go online communities and that sort of thing. Um, but I imagine that it is multiplied in some way when you start talking about XR. Um, do you agree? Do you feel XR has additional ethical sort of burdens compared to standard entertainment, gaming and or, you know, whatever oh, yeah. movies? I think it's huge. And there's definitely been lots of talks around having um, standards and uh, ethical kind of boards around this side of things, which I think has to be done. Like this doesn't exist in the world of video games, but as we think about this being something that is going to be part of people's everyday lives, um, we really need to think about what are the standards around this. We mentioned how now, like whether it's through mobile or you're through HMDs, like you're essentially scanning the world around you. And I think we're going to have to think about like, how do we explain to people what that means? How does data get saved? How do we make it so that it, a user can say like, no, like you cannot use any of my data because especially if let's say you're using this around your home and in, in the privacy of the world around you. Um, I think scanning considerations and how data is used there is going to be huge. Um, mm -hmm. If we look at things like Facebook, it's it's only many years after Facebook launched that people started being really proactive and and thinking about holy shit, like everything about me is being tracked and being right. sold, and you know this is this is huge. Like this is something that we need to ensure we don't. What I want to say is we need to ensure that before XR becomes mainstream, that we deal with these data security, what is ethical, what is private. We need to deal with all of this. And I think it needs to be like a common board across like mm. all of the platforms that exist. Um, That's very interesting. So it's a huge, it's a huge thing that needs to be do you, um Do you follow uh, Matthew Ball at all? Is that name familiar to you? He's... um thought leader, I would say, on a lot of different subjects, big into the metaverse, uh, spends a lot of time talking about Apple, a lot of time talking about Epic, uh, various sort of related subjects. And there was a really interesting article that he published yesterday, basically about, you know, the the, the power and the danger of Apple, right? Mm. Um, and, and this idea that, yeah, on the one hand, you know, it, it's great. Like they're sort of for security and data security and privacy and like, that's awesome. And yes, we need to celebrate that. But on the other hand, um, you know, they basically, whether, you know, whether they call it that or not, in some ways they, they do kind of monopolize, uh, what the mobile internet is, particularly in the United States. And that there are things that they are doing to the overall sort of ecosystem that are, you know, let's just say problematic, um, and it's amazing to me how much data security and privacy is 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 becoming a mainstream topic, right? More yeah. and more people are talking about it. More and more people are are aware of the value of their data and the risks associated with blindly giving away their data. Yeah. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right. There's some big, deep conversations that need to happen before we could even possibly flip the switch, even if we could technically flip the switch to a true, you know, AR wonderland or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. Even like an example that's slightly 
And it's related to all of this, but um, Valve had announced a couple weeks ago a partnership with OpenBCI. Mm -hmm. So BCI being brain-computer interface. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially wearables that are able to detect, like, today, high-level information coming from your brain waves, which can be used for inputs from a technology perspective. Super interesting. Love the idea of that, you know, controlling my content, my games without actually having to utilize like uh, a controller. But shit, is that scary (laughs) to think about like, if this becomes more and more like mainstream, like how is that data being used? Um, So 100% uh, ethical considerations need to become, need to be uh, come enforced. I wonder how much Elon Musk and Gabe Newell are having those conversations because mm. they're both He's very smart dudes with lots Neuralink. of money yeah, who are I very mean. interested in the sort of neural digital interface. Yeah, I mean, I'm super intrigued by Elon's Neuralink, um, yeah. but that's total, uh, what is it, Skynet, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that sounds like a, another podcast. I'll have to yes. write that one down. You can come back and we'll talk all about neural interfaces. Okay, so we've talked a ton about output. We've talked about glasses. We've talked about earbuds, you know, pass-through VR, AR. It's all what I'm seeing or hearing. It, it's, it's what the digital is sort of pushing on to me as the consumer. Can we talk a little bit about input? Um, you know, we often talk about hand tracking, obviously, you know, more and more now, you know, the, the Quest 2 that you talked about has these wonderful little sort of hand things, these devices that you hold. You know, Facebook recently published some uh, sort of research about like really, really granular sort of digit tracking where, you know, they've, they've got this developer crossing their fingers and twiddling their thumbs and all of this sort of stuff. And it's all being mapped to a 3D quote unquote digital twin of that developer's hands in real time. So can we talk a little bit more about input? You know, how important is hand tracking to a great XR experience? Is there anything else that really matters beyond hands? Um, Yeah, basically, let's just shift gears into the input space. Cool. I feel like, especially when I've worked with game developers who have come to the XR space, their first kind of thought is, where's my controller, right? And what? got one or two buttons on the controller what the hell can i do with that and i always laugh because i'm like we're in like the real world now like we don't necessarily need to rely on this like complex controller i actually find like especially with games it's almost where like it's become a whole job of just like mastery in the pad of how do i make the user become like almost frustrated with like how quick are you mashing on buttons and this is a whole different space right so controllers still exist, uh, but I do think building experience around natural inputs is something I'm very excited to see a lot more of. I think hands, as you said, is almost like that 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 first like instinct of cool. I can use my hands. I can like touch like digital objects. I can maybe do like some type of like hand gestures. Though personally, I am not a fan of that. You know, like doing a thumbs up to like move forward in a game. Mm-hmm, like no, mm-hmm. not for me. And you also want to think about like fatigue. So you don't want to build uh, experiences where you have your your user having to put the hands in front of their face and like utilize like, or touch the digital content. But using hands for some input, I think it's very interesting. What I think is also great in the XR space is thinking about voice for sound, um, Mm -hmm. not just from a command perspective, but as we look at technologies that are really uh, pushing forward from like natural language processing on the AI side, 
getting to think about just having a conversation, like speaking normally, not doing the video game of like, stop, go here and talking like a robot, but utilizing that aspect of things for my voice, I think is really interesting. Um, outside of even the wording, but thinking of using the tone of my voice to like Mm -hmm. something really loud, I think can be really imaginative for developers to think about how they can use tone. And whenever I talk about inputs, I always say there's so much magic in the eyes. And obviously it's kind of a combination of eyes, my voice, my hands. But when I think of eye contact. I think there's a lot that can be done there, especially as I'm interacting with like virtual characters. Like Mm -hmm. I want to see like this virtual being that is, you know, great AI it's interacting with me, but let's say like my partner walks into the room, my head pose changes. I'm not making eye contact with the character because I start talking to my partner. I turn around and the character goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, are you really busy right now? I can come back to this. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, like they're aware of like, am I actively engaged with that piece of content? I think the eyes as well, like I had done a, this is back when I was at UB, I had done like a um, a neuro-linguistic programming course. And it was all about people tend to like, you know, look to the upper left when they're like remembering something. That's right. I do that all the time. And then it's like, you look to your upper right when you're like, you're not sure. And you're trying to like, think of like an answer. So maybe a bit on the black mirror, like creepy side of things. But I do think that that's really interesting. Just like utilizing everything that we can track and utilize for inputting and interacting with the content around us. That's really interesting. And you talk about eyes, Eyes is obviously really big and and voice in terms of sort of, um, you know, emotion parsing or, you know, inference of the, of, of the yeah. user's emotional state. Um, you know, the face is, is obviously the single biggest telegrapher that humans have when it comes to their emotional state. There's a lot of tons of research, you know, being done about how when the whole face is scanned, you know, really little micro emotional changes can be tracked in terms of like the furrowing of the brows and the pursing of the lips and little sort of stuff like that. Is XR looking at the face or is it really, do you think it's only ever going to look at the eyes? Is there ever going to be a sort of full body or full face scanning component to it? I think that we will get access to all of this and TBD, like maybe I'm talking crazy future stuff, but I think people are getting more and more used to wearing different like wearables. Like I've got my Fitbit. So like technically I can like track things about my hand uh, movement. Snapchat, I believe like they've announced that they're working on even like full body, like tracking, like, and not just your face. So I I do feel like this is 100% coming online, especially as we look at, like, using my phone again for that face filters. Like, technologies do exist where people can infer what's your mood right now, what are you feeling. Uh, You can infer a lot of that from your voice as well. So I think it will be a combination of different technologies to be able to track that. And sure, you can think, like, is that super creepy? Like, and maybe, again, back to the data privacy, maybe you don't want that to be tracked. But from an experience side, like when I interact with a human, a human can gauge all of these things from me. They can gauge like, oh, you look really sad today. Oh, you're you're, you're having a great day. You're like mm-hmm. super happy, aren't you? Like I can see it in your posture. So I just feel, I feel like 
having like digital content to get to that like awareness state and like being able to play upon those inputs will really lead to interesting bits of content. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, we've been talking already for, <laughs> there's so much more stuff I want to talk about. Um, there's three things I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about. So I might have to skip around a little bit here. Um, I want to talk about quote unquote, traditional media, linear media, TVs and movies. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned earlier, you're at the mill now. Um, Obviously, you and I have a bit of an sort of interactive bias because of our time in in games. Can you talk a little bit about uh, ways that XR is going to change the linear media landscape in the coming years? Yeah. So almost coming back to like that, the punch drunk sleep no more side of things. Um, there was actually this great uh, workshop. I sadly couldn't uh, be part of it, but um, it happened a couple months ago. And it was a workshop with people in theater and people in film to really start understanding, like, what is XR and how can you create your content to be more interactive? Really, like, embracing that immersive theater side. Cool. Because when okay. I think of immersive theater, that means interactive. So I definitely think like that area of things are starting to adopt this. Um, I mentioned super briefly in my intro, but I think the concert space, like streaming of music concerts of like television shows, um, they're really starting to look towards XR, like the Billie Eilish concert that happened this year uh, that was streamed. It blended the mixed reality side with her physical concert users were able to interact via mobile phone, like to feel like they were like interacting with other people in the TikTok concert with the weekend uh, last year, users were in real time in TikTok influencing what was happening Mm -hmm. in this like digital concert. Uh, It really feels like we're in beginning days of like what can be done, but people are realizing that, Sure, step one, can I bring my content to the digital world? But if I'm not making it interactive, then what's kind of the point? Like, and that's how you get like user engagement, player yeah. engagement. Um, kind of going all over here, but even like Netflix with Bandersnatch, I thought was like a great first Absolutely. example of how can you take traditional TV and make it something that was interactive. And sure, us as games were like, this is a choose your own adventure. We've been doing this for years. But, you know, like my parents who watch Netflix were like, what the hell did I just do? Like, yeah. I, I had so innovative. <laughs> I, I got to press yes or no. I'm like, yeah, you had a little bit of agency there. But they were like blown away with what you could do. Yeah. And Netflix. So, yeah. It's amazing. Like once upon a time you had video games and you had movies. And then, I mean, you remember how many times in your career have you heard the mythical word of convergence, right? I mean, convergence has been this sort of buzzword throughout my entire time in the career and probably predates me, you know, by who knows how long. I had I had a talk with Brenda Romero a couple of mm. weeks ago and she's been working professionally as a game developer for 41 years, I'd be interested to hear when she first heard the term convergence as, as, as it applied to, you know, games versus linear. And yet these days, it seems like XR is the convergence. I mean, it's not the exclusive convergence, but 
very often when you hear about successful XR implementations inside of linear media, what it's doing is it's making linear media a little bit more like video games and making video games a little bit more like linear media and then and 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 using XR to kind of help blend the two. Yep. It's really it's really neat. XR is the savior of convergence. Um <laughs> I love that. And then two other things we've we've touched upon uh, bef- before we close out. Um, you've mentioned virtual beings a couple of times, but you also mentioned AI, quote unquote, AI and gameplay programming. So again, those of us in dev, we remember when you know programming AI in video games basically meant really complicated decision trees. Yeah. Um, and, and yet now the days when we talk about virtual beings, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. So when you talk about virtual beings, what are you talking about? What is a virtual being for you? So I, I think even since this term has gotten like very popular, it's very broad in terms of like what a virtual being can be. Like we know them definitely from video games, right? And, like, we went from the, like, crazy uncanny valley to, like, oh, my gosh, we've got characters in game that look hyper-realistic. But at the end of the day, as you said, there might be some actual AI tricks put into it, but it's just a crazy, like, uh, complex, whatever, uh, decision-making tree of, like, what that AI character should do. But as we think of virtual beings, like coming to the XR space, um, we need to make them a lot more autonomous. We need to make these virtual beings have it so that they can understand like language that I am speaking to them. They should be able to respond back to me. So there is a lot that has been done like on the natural language processing side in terms of also like using volumetric capture to have like these realistic like virtual beings that exist. We're seeing some really great examples that exist in VR. Uh, Lucy that was built in Fable, I think, is a fabulous example. To we can look at examples of virtual beings that are like on Twitch right now or like in social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Like uh, people are starting to like almost get confused with is that a real person that is in this Instagram ad or no? Mm-hmm. This is ev- this is not a real person. It is a virtual being that is not representing these brands that are doing Instagram like videos that are like that have like this whole life. So and they're um, falling in love with their chatbots and they're having exactly yeah deep relationships with their replica friends. Yeah, like you can actually. There was one I was looking at the other day, and they I can't remember the name, but uh, this virtual being is essentially streaming themselves in Twitch while they're playing Roblox and then like responding back to like people that are watching this virtual being as she is like playing in real time Roblox. And I'm like, what the hell? So (laughs) it's, it's insane. Like, and I'm so happy to though, to see like the amount of technology that is being pushed on this front, like us from the video game world, we were, we were so like, need to create these like realistic characters. And like, I think we really helped to push the front in terms of like visual fidelity to like what we can do with mocap, creating these animation pipelines, pushing the technology. But now we're really seeing other fields coming from like this deep learning AI side that are really like pushing what can be done with like these real time virtual being characters. It's, it's, kind of crazy but it's very interesting and i think it's a must that has to get pushed 
yeah. while we think about like living in this world of XR around us. We need to have like these smart, intelligent beings that we interact with. I think I read just the other day that Ronnie Abovitz, the, yes. the, the ex-CEO of Magic Leap, I, I think I saw that he's started up something in, in virtual beings and virtual yep. humans and that whole space. So yeah, Synthetic. clearly... Synthetic beings is what Synthetic they're calling beings. it. Okay. Um, and obviously I know nothing and can't say, but I'm super excited to see what they're going to be doing on that front. Yeah. When I came to Magic Leap myself and uh, one of my colleagues, Brian Schwab, who came from like the traditional game AI side, were really, really passionate saying like, we need to think about what is the platform for AI characters, virtual beings in this world of augmented reality space. Mm. Um so really, yeah, very excited to see like yeah. where things are going to be pushing in this front. Yeah, tons of opportunity there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, I mean, just let's close this out. My, uh, I mentioned him earlier, Matthew Ball, uh, sometimes known as Mr. Metaverse. Uh, I, I uh, interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. By the time this podcast episode comes out, my Matthew Ball episode will have already launched. It'll have launched on the 12th of February. Um, be interested in hearing your feedback when, if you get a chance to listen to it. But um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts about the metaverse? I mean, big, big, broad question, right? But what's going on with this world of the metaverse as it relates to you and XR? And I guess as a sort of follow-up question, like, is it maybe real this time? Because I think there were those of us who played MMOs for years and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're playing like Second Life or that kind of thing. And, and the word metaverse was kind of kicked around a little bit back then. And we all kind of rolled our eyes and we said, nah, man, we're just playing games. This time to me, it, it feels different. When people say the metaverse, it feels somehow like they mean it more. I'm wondering if you agree. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I feel like everything we just spoke about in the last hour is part of the metaverse. Like all of this, like metaverse encompasses all of this technology that is going to be needed. How do we essentially bring XR to the real world? But then the flip side to the metaverse is really bringing digital to the real world and then vice versa. How do we bring more of what we know from the real world to the digital world so that things can exist seamlessly? And in the last year, like what we've seen, I think with, with, Roblox and Roblox being able to create these amazing, fantastic tools that, you know, my like four-year-old nephew is like, I can create my own like game worlds really easily. (laughs) Um, Like what they're doing there and how they're starting to push the tooling as well. Like I, I know I keep mentioning concerts, but I do think it's this stepping stone of bringing like massive bits of content to the digital world. But what Roblox is doing, super exciting. We can't talk about Metaverse and not mention Epic and Fortnite. Uh, I feel like Fortnite, obviously, it went huge when it came out from, like, a gamer's perspective. But now we are seeing, like, this is, like, the digital world almost to be in. And this is where people that are building stuff for the real world want to see how do we also have this accessible in the digital world. So... Like I kind of foresee, again, in a post-COVID world, as we're pushing all the XR crazy technologies, where location-based experiences, me experiencing things in the real world can become a thing again, and where I can go to these amazing like experiences, and it's part physical, it's part digital. If I want to continue when I'm back home, then I can go to my digital world, whether that is in Fortnite or whether it's in Roblox or... 
actually dreams, dreams. I'm like mm. bow down to dreams, but like what they're doing with their digital worlds. And again, super user friendly. It, there's just so much possibility space of how we can bring like the, what I do in my real world back to the digital world and vice versa. So I know it sounds like we're all talking snow crash and it feels like, you know, 10 years ago, we were like, yeah, right. Metaverse. But the reality is here today, right now, it's just that bits are being created to bit fragmented, some metaverse here, some metaverse there, some technologies here, some technologies there. That's great. Like everyone needs to be pushing on this front. Um, Well, TBD, who is going to be creating the wrapper of like, I guess what we'll end on, like the spatial internet slash the the metaverse. The metaverse. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm super glad that you mentioned dreams um, because it's amazing how often they get left out uh, in when people talk about the metaverse. Everyone talks about Fortnite for understandable reasons. They talk about Roblox. They talk about core. They talk about the sandbox. They talk about Minecraft. Yeah. Uh, and yet Dreams is doing amazing stuff. If you guys haven't checked it out, Media Molecule Dreams, it's on the PS4. It's VR enabled. If you have a PS4 and a, a PlayStation VR kit, you have to get Dreams and you have to play with it. Um, there are people creating stuff in Dreams that will blow your mind in terms of how quickly they can make it. Yeah. Um, and the really, truly, the the artistic, I mean, not just like they're being creative. They are being incredibly compelling, rich, emotionally engaging artistry in three-dimensional space. And it definitely changes for me how I experience art to be in it rather than to passively look at it. Yep. And anyone who has a chance to do that themselves, I, uh, I, I hope they take up that opportunity. Yeah. And the tooling, you know, we almost started off talking about tooling and platforms. And I think what they've done there is amazing. It's accessible. And that's what we need to see more of. We yeah. need people to be aware of dreams. So yes. invest in dreams, investors, wherever you are. <laughs> Go buy media molecule. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Uh, God, Alicia, this has been fantastic. I have loved this conversation. I want to live in the world that lives in your brain. And I'm so excited about the fact that we're getting closer and closer to it. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with me today. Uh, I hope that the people who listen to this podcast get a ton out of your experience, your, your insight, your, your thoughts. Um, and I wish you all the very best uh, at the mill and in Costa Rica. And if and when you do decide to uh, spend some time back in Montreal, I look forward to, uh, I don't know, grabbing a coffee when COVID is, is in the rear view mirror. But yes, thank you so much for great. sharing your time with us today. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks once again to Alicia for taking the time to answer our questions and sharing all of her thoughts and wisdom on the future of extended reality with us. If you're interested in this kind of thing, extended reality, augmented reality, the metaverse, virtual beings, AI and its uses in entertainment, all of the things that we touched upon today and have touched upon in some of our past episodes, 
then please consider liking and subscribing, sharing this podcast with your friends. The more people who follow and and write in and suggest guests, subjects, topics, questions, the the better we can make this podcast. Uh, It's really our intention and goal to make something that, that helps serve the industry and drives the industry forward and entertains people who find this stuff fascinating. And we really enjoy doing it. We hope you enjoy listening to it. So once again, from all of us to all of you, thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you very soon.